Alice Barb. You're from France. You're here for this week with the Pluralism Award. And I want to really thank you for sitting down today and speaking to me. I, I've you. come to know you this week and uh, just absolutely adore what you do and your, your personality and how you are working with the most vulnerable people in the world. And so uh, I want to find out more about yeah, the organization, Singa. And you know you are the co-founder and CEO of Singa. And so as the co-founder, I want to ask you questions. But first, I want to say that this week, uh, you and Singa were in Arava for the Global Pluralism Award Ceremony and the award ceremony recognizing the kind of work you are doing. And so I would like to start uh, with uh, you saying that I understand that you initially formed Singa as a citizen movement, enabling refugees and their host communities to meet and cooperate in an effort to encourage dialogue, foster cultural enrichment, and create job opportunities. You know, as I told you earlier, I'm a refugee from Uganda, and when I heard what you were doing, I want to start with asking you, Alice, why did you co-found Singa? Mm -hmm. Well, um, thank you for having me here today and for sharing this moment. It always feels good to be um, in this, inf well, it's a podcast, but still it's an informal kind of meeting, an intimate conversation, so I try to be as honest as I can. Um, well, I'm before before Singa, I was working at the United Nations in uh, Montreal. Um, it was my Quebecois life, and I used to travel the world a lot. I was very naive, you know, the kind of young person, 25 years old, that wants to save the world and go to work in international organizations and humanitarian field. And at the UN, I didn't have the feeling that I was having much impact on the world. I mean, of course, it was, it was good. It was fancy. I, I had my fancy suit and, and people were very dedicated to their work. But I realized that it would take me 20 years before being proud of my work. And uh, reading reports and analyzing reports would not be the best way to, to change the way things were. So it was 2012 when I moved back to Paris. And I met with um, two friends of mine that had an experience on the, in the humanitarian sector, one in Morocco and one in Australia at Amnesty International. And one of them, the, the one that was in Australia, uh, told me the story that he was feeling the same, that uh, he was uh, in this office meeting a lot of asylum seekers with extraordinary skills, competences, personalities. But the only answer he could give to them would be, OK, I'm going to draft a report about humanitarian situation in your country and send it to the court. And he could not connect. Uh, or offer any opportunity to all the people he was meeting, and that was very frustrating. And he became friends with one of the, the asylum seekers that was in a, in a de detention camp for three years, uh, who actually committed suicide. Um, so when he told me this story, and we met in Paris um, with the other friend, the three of us, without, okay, we should create um, an organization on our own. I joined them quickly after they registered the organization uh, as a co-founder, and we had we didn't really know what we were gonna do, but we knew that we wanted to hack the sector. 
we knew we wanted to be pirate of the sector um, because too often humanitarian organizations are kind of working on emergency relief and emergency response and there's no thought about what is going to happen in the next 10, 20, 50 years. Um, and the relief that they're giving is kind of putting a tap on the broken arm. It's not really changing the why people are in pain and not really changing the, the whole paradigm. So we wanted to work on this paradigm. And another thing is that the, the feeling of the, the, the way refugees and, and immigrants are being labeled and I mean, it was 2012, but this time we haven't seen the picture of Island Kurdi, but we, we, we saw how migration was very divisive. It was in the political rhetoric, um, something that political leaders were using to gain votes uh, without taking into account the reality of the people. So we thought, okay, there's only one answer to this kind of hateful, hateful speeches uh, and the, the labeling of refugees. It's to engage people in meeting each other. So we started a community. Um, it was very, very small at the beginning and very organic. I told my friends, hey, you know, um, there are these people who are refugees. Do you want to meet them? Let's uh, go and play soccer. Let's have a picnic. So we're a bunch of friends, 30 people, and then 300 very quickly. Today, 30,000 and more, um, because we just told people, let's meet each other. So that was the first why and the second why is also that we are sitting on a treasure with migration um, a treasure of competences and skills and we're very scared to miss the next Marie Curie or Albert Einstein of our century so without about without that entrepreneurship uh, would be the way and we we see ourselves I see myself as an entrepreneur having built this organization so we we, we knew that people were having competences but they were always treated as victim. Um, there was no space or tools to unlock their potential. Um, I will always remember my first, it was the first week of Sega and we had, um, we had uh, buddies, like we, we matched people, newcomers and, and locals, and there was this student and she well, she was very genuinely, she wanted to help, but she was having troubles communicating with the, the newcomer that was assigned to her. His name was Fude, he's Fude. Uh, he's today the godfather of my son. And she told me, well, my refugee won't do his homework, he's kind of stupid. And the my refugee thing, not even the stupid word, but my refugee made me think, okay, this is what we need to work on. And in front, I went to speak with Fode, and he told me, Alice, you know what, um, I'm here because you told me that, that I would meet new people, but she wants to teach me French, and I don't really care about être avoir uh, le passé composé. I've been in France for three years, and I'm treated like shit. It's, uh, I asked for a job, they told me that I need to clean the floor, and I am, a, I am a professional accountant, I graduated from Cambridge University, I used to work for the United Nations, and I had to escape my country because of my political beliefs. So, you know what, I, I would rather kill myself than learn French right now, because I don't have a future here, and no one is telling me that I do have one. So, well, the story ends well, because Fude was then matched with, uh, with a senior accountant uh, from, a, from a major firm, and quickly, like three months after that, he was speaking fluent French and had a, a permanent contract in a big company that he left uh, to study at Sciences Po, which is one of the best schools, and now he's working in a bank. But the, the, 
if we don't if we, if we don't ask the people that are refugees and newcomers migrants I don't know how to call them because I don't like the them inside of it but if we if we don't ask them what's your biggest dream what do you want to achieve um, and make them feel that it is possible of course people are going to be desperate and will never have the chance to contribute to host societies you know when you were talking it brought goosebumps for me because when I first came to Canada it's the same story as uh, almost the same where people would say you don't have Canadian experience and many many people come to this country then do do the first job they get start the first job because you have to feed your family you've got to pay the bills and so you get on the first job and then you get on this rut where you cannot get out because you you have to have the money and so it becomes until it becomes like a really a, a terrible cycle except if people like you then match and this is a great idea we should think of to match people to um, work with the same kind of profession and you know to build a, a relationship for me that's what happened I, I started off working as uh, just uh, doing the runners for a lock uh, firm and then the partner there took an interest in me and that's where I ended up being a lawyer and now a senator but it was because somebody cared enough mm. and that's what you're talking about I know you do it via an organization but you're really doing it. each person matters and that's the, I get, when I first met you, I, that's the mes message I was reading from you, and even more so today. And uh, I'd like to ask you, what are some of your biggest challenges? Exactly what you just talked about. I, I don't think Singa is an organization. Um, today, we have two main focus. One is to connect people and train them so they would organize things to gather more and more people. Um, so, before talking about the challenges, uh, there is the story that illustrates very well our work because people do not always understand our work because they put us in the label of being a non-profit or a charity, which I don't think we are. Um, there was this guy named Thibault. He was 19 years old when he came to Singapore for the first time and he told us, I'm in university but my real dream is to play music. He was Parisian. And we told him, oh, great, we don't have any musical um, workshop or events. Do you want to come here every Saturday and organize musical events? And he said, yeah, absolutely, I would love that. Um, so the first day he was in, in, the, in, in a room and we told there were 10 people attending. Nine of them were refugees. One of them was Parisian, uh, kind of hipster. And Thibault started to talk about music and rhythm and... And you could see the nine uh, people that were refugees, they were looking at him like, yeah, it looks really nice what you're saying, but I don't understand a word. Mm. <laughs> and so Thibault was like, okay, what am I doing here? Why, why did I offer to help? What, what am I doing? And Thibault started something very simple. He started to clap. And then people in the room started to clap too. And then he started to do some rhythm, like pom pom pom, and people started to imitate him. One hour after, you couldn't hear anything. There was no silence in the room anymore because people were just playing music with their body, with their mouths, with everything they could. It was a human orchestra, and it was a real vibration that was born on this day. 
So this is how singing music that is not today just musical women orchestra workshop uh, was born. And Thibault has been able to gather thousands of people just doing that. Uh, and now he's doing it once per month uh, to gather newcomers and locals. So my job, basically our job at Singa, is not to pay Thibault for what he's doing. It's to allow him to have this kind of vibe and share it with the world. And this is why now we have up to 4,000 events per city is where we are. We are in 22 cities. And when you arrive in the cities, anyone, I mean, no matter if they're refugees or not, they will be like, okay, how can I meet you? new people and new friends? And people will answer Singa. Just go to Singa, you see. Events are amazing. Jogging, wine and cheese session, musical workshop, dance, um, improv, anything. So I guess and my biggest challenge at the moment is kind of get people to understand that we don't do social work. We're not here to help in the usual sense of helping. We're here to allow people to be self-confident through all kinds of activities. And in the meantime, and this is an even bigger challenge, well, I wake up every day with a fear like that the, the global warming is happening. There's going to be 300 million of forcibly displaced people in the next 50 years. And the world's biggest, the world's biggest democracies are very tempted by nationalism and hyper-nationalist rhetoric. And how do we change that? So we need to change the way people perceive immigration. We need to change the way people um, act toward immigration. People vote toward immigration. And I know to, we know today that it takes $12 in digital marketing to, 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 to turn a fear into a concrete vote by sending just news and bias article like a migrant raped a young lady, for instance. And, and this is what happened with Trump. This is what happened with Brexit and Cambridge Analytica. So, my biggest fear is, okay, how can we build weapons of mass connections? Because the bad guys in front of us, they have big weapons. So I guess that we are reaching the limit of being a non-profit. I don't want to speak with the people who are already convinced that migration is good. Actually, I can't hear that anymore. I don't go to conferences anymore to, to have this kind of conversation. Always. Only people who believe that because we're not building anything. I want to go where people don't know, don't have an opinion and tell them, come and enjoy a glass of wine with new people. Come and, and learn how to, to, to cook a, a plate with Syrian people. I don't know. Without saying they're refugees or they're migrants because this label is actually polarizing people even more. Oh, this is just amazing what you're doing and you've grown so much. You know, and it's... Uh, <sighs> But uh, from what you're saying, the, the word that comes across to me is that uh, you, you provide, you empower the people, you know, and one of the best ways we all know is through music, because you break all kinds of barriers through music. And then you also show them respect and dignity, which is something people are dying for. And for if somebody asks me now, what Singa does, I would say, you empower, respect, <laughs> and provide dignity. Of course, it's much, much bigger than that. But uh, I would like to ask you one f fun question, and that is that if you if you could if you could get a free ticket and fly plane ticket and fly anywhere in the world, where would you go and why? I would like to answer that I wouldn't take a plane because I'm very yeah, scared of, of global warming. Yeah, yeah. But let's say teleportation exists. I guess that right now I would love to be in Lebanon um, because of what's going on, because the revolution is 
Well, a lot of friends of mine from Lebanon are telling me that it's providing hope. Um, and it's kind of scary in the meantime, but there is a very strong feeling of hope, and I really hope it will succeed. Um, all my friends, let's say 90% of my social network is composed by people that that have been persecuted in their home countries. So, I mean, I this is my life, and I'm, I'm not pretending or to talk on the behalf of refugees, and I would never do that, but... Um, and it's not related to my work at all, but it's more related to the life I have built in the past years um, of sharing about how Putin is persecuting uh, anti-fascists, how um, the Colombian government has been persecuting the FARCs, um, sometimes on, for the US, um, how the Syrian revolution was a tremendous hope and how it can continue today, even despite the fact that that Bashar is taking over. So what's happening in Lebanon could be, I, I think it could be very symbolic, um, because all the previous revolutions, I, I'm thinking about Sudan, Algeria, um, and the they're they're not really changing uh, changing the way things are. So I I put a lot of hope in Lebanon. Well, I'll go with you <laughs> uh, because I have friends there who are in the protests, and mm. we were supposed to meet two weeks ago, and they they all decided not to come. We were at a, a conference because they they didn't want to be left out of standing up for you know and protesting and being out there. And what was so interesting is that my Syrian colleagues with whom I work, uh, who live in Lebanon, and they had tears running down their eyes saying, you know, we see these protests every day. We wish we could have these protests in Syria. And, you know, so the Lebanese experience of these protests, uh, it, it's given a new meaning to the whole world of the protests and how the people have just really got uh, dynamic and vigored by this protest, but it's also giving people hope around the region to say one day we will also have protests. I never, you know, I, I as a young student, I protested a lot, and I never thought, and I never ever thought that people would look at a protest, you know, in in this loving way that my uh, Syrian uh, 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 colleagues are, because they also want to protest, and so. This is a great way to end, but I want to tell you that I'm hoping that you'll come back to <laughs> Ottawa and or anywhere in Canada. I will come to see you so we can continue this discussion. I hope it too. Thank you. Thank you very much. One thing I, I meant to ask you earlier, and if I may ask you now, is uh, if people wanted to, uh, of course, if they wanted to find out more about Singa, they could um, go on the Internet, but if they wanted to contact you, uh, how do they get in touch with you? Well, I'm very accessible on Twitter, on Facebook, or all the social media. It's very easy to find me, Alice Barb and Singa. Great. Mm. Uh, it's a pleasure to have had you. Thank you very much. Thank you.